The Dead is widely regarded as the finest short story in the English language and it's one of those pieces that the more you look at it, the more you see. All of Joyce's works are, are masterpieces, but The Dead really outshines all of the other stories in Dubliners. It changes the collection, so it's, it's hugely significant. We're standing outside 15 Usher's Island on the south keys of the River Liffey, the house where James Joyce set The Dead, the final short story in his collection, Dubliners. In the story, Joyce calls it a dark, gaunt house, and today, surrounded by decay, it's a rare remnant of Joyce's Dublin. We're looking west to the Wellington Monument in the Phoenix Park and looking east across the river to the Four Courts, both landmarks in the dead. <laughs> Fifteen Usher's Island is the setting for most of Joyce's story, a dinner party hosted by the Mrs. Morkan on the 6th of January 1904, the Feast of the Epiphany. When he finished the story in late 1907, Joyce was far away, living with Nora Barnacle in Trieste. But the house sits, like the story itself, amidst the rich and complex histories of Dublin and Ireland. Constantine Curran, Joyce's lifelong friend, said of Joyce that his memory was a map of the city, and in the dead, like Ulysses later on, Joyce uses the city's landscape as a precise backdrop to his narrative. Joyce chose number 15 not just because its position places it at the apex of Irish history, but because it was a house he knew well. It was built in 1775, not long after Arthur Guinness had established his brewery nearby at James's Gate. By 1904, the house had been newly restored. Joyce's own great-aunts, Ellen and Julia, once lived there, and he had visited with his family for Christmas dinners. In the story, he makes it the home of Gabriel Conroy's spinster aunts, Kate and Julia Morkan, and their niece, Mary Jane. They rent the upper floors from Mr. Fulham, the corn merchant. The Morkans have come down in the world, and Usher's Island would have been too close to the industry of the brewery to be fashionable. Professors Kevin Whelan and Mary Daly on the Dublin of the Dead in 1904. The social geography of the city is intensely mapped within it. The fact that the story is set on Usher's Island in a decaying Catholic middle-class family, which in a sense summons the story of what had happened to the 18th century city, which was you know, the second city of the empire famously, and then had gone into this uh, decline in the 19th century, which Joyce, in some respects, maps. Uh, you know, Joyce evokes what was for him a really interesting part of the city. That was the medieval part of the city, the old city, the city of the liberties, which he found more interesting than the more Protestant 18th century Anglo-Irish ascendancy city. But what he also summons then is the transition, because he's very interested too in the story about the way that the upwardly mobile Conroys, and especially Gabriel and his domineering mother, the way that they kind of move towards this new middle-class city, which is developing around the railway lines, developing around the new fashionable suburbs. But the geography of the dead is itself carefully mapped to reflect 
you know, the centuries of the history of the kind of city. And it's one, the, the geographical layer is one that's in the short story. It's a great portrait of a social segment that we don't really look at properly, and that is a Catholic middle class, not a terribly prosperous Catholic middle class, but it's, it's an insight into that particular community. Dublin in the beginning of the 20th century was quite a small city in many ways. The, the city itself was by and large within the canals. Glasnevin would have been very much the extremes on the north side. Then on the south side, you would have had Rathmines, not much beyond. There would have been a lot of people working in civil service. Guinness nearby would have been by far the largest industry in the city, employing about 2,500 people. Places like Cleary's had quite a large group of live-in shop assistants, men and women, in semi-dormitories. You could probably get that if you looked at the 1911 census. Respectable middle-class women would not have worked outside the home except in limited circumstances. But if you take the house in Usher's Island, it's got two older unmarried aunts, their unmarried niece living in it. And they are respectable, they are educated. The niece is teaching piano, the aunts are helping out a bit. But obviously the income of that family would have been pretty precarious. But Gabriel has done better, he's a teacher, and he's living in some comfort. He's living out in Monkstown. It would have been a rented house, but he would definitely be a cut above the aunts. Around Usher's Island, there would still have been some infectious diseases and there might have been concerns about it being an unhealthy environment. One of the joys of the archives is that they give us a sense of Joyce's Dublin and also of his life. Joyce had already left Dublin by 1904. Professor Anne Fogarty on the story behind the dead. Uh, we know he conceived of the story in Rome during quite an unhappy phase of his life. He had got a job in a bank. Obviously, Anne Joyce was not, not suited to the, the existence of a bank clerk. And he had partly conceived of the story as a kind of a compensation for the negativity in, in all of the previous stories. Yet at the same time, he's writing The Dead while he's very caught up with affairs in Ireland, and um, particularly the uh, riots in the Abbey around uh, Singh's Playboy of the Western world, and that he has this intense longing to be back in, in Dublin. So it's a journey for him um, as a writer back to the city of Dublin. And he says that he wrote it to celebrate the positive aspects of of life in Dublin. So even though it seems a melancholic story, a story perhaps about the breakdown uh, in part of a marriage, it shows us its convivial aspects, um, the, the party life, the social life, the cultural life of, of the city, all of these things come through in the dead. The Irish National Archives hold the census reports of 1901 and 1911, which show the downward slide of the Joyce family. Katrina Crow. They're living in a house, but it's a rented house in Royal Terrace, which is now Inverness Road in Fairview in 1901. And you've got mother, father, very many children. And you can see why May Joyce died young, that she had a pregnancy every year. Children range in ages from 18, Joyce himself, down to, I think, two years old. But it's a nice house. Must have had a very nice time there. By 1911, Joyce has gone to Trieste. He's with Nora Barnacle. And we find his father and some of his sisters, the mother, has died at this point father and some of his sisters staying in a boarding house on the north side of Dublin. At the National Library, where Joyce himself used to study, it's the photographic collections of Lawrence and Clark which allow us to step back into Joyce's Dublin in 1904. Catherine McSharry. The Dublin that Joyce reflects is a very broad one in some ways and a very narrow one in others in that his focus tends to be in most detail on particular aspects of that life. One of the amazing collections that we have is the Clark Collection of Photographs 
And what is remarkable about the Clark collection for that period is that they are photographs of people. Very often photographic collections are topographical, they're of street scenes, views and so on. The Clark collection actually brings the Dubliners that Joyce knew that he was talking about into vision for us, what they wore, where they went, where they gathered. You can see Earlsford Terrace, where Joyce would have wandered many days. You can see the National Library itself, the people coming into and going out of what they were wearing. And imagine that's pretty much how Joyce himself would have looked and how his characters would have looked. One of the unique collections relating to Joyce housed at UCD is that of his lifelong friend, Constantine Curran. Constantine Curran was a friend of Joyce from his university days and he achieved the almost unequalled feat of remaining his friend to the end of Joyce's life. A man who fell out with almost everybody he knew at one point or another, Constantine Curran and he remained friends. The current collection includes material in Joyce's own hand, so letters from Joyce which would have been sent to his friend Curran and to various other individuals and there's very little material of that type, very few letters from Joyce in Ireland, um, so it's particularly valuable to have those. Curran's photographs and letters give us a rare insight into Joyce. There's a, a photograph of 1904 where he's looking at you with a flat cap and his hands in his pockets and almost defying the uh, viewer as he looks at the lens. He's also both a very young man and quite an old soul in a lot of ways. His mother has been very unwell. She is to die around this period. He's seen a great deal of loss. And that immense amount of living and sadness is very eloquently attested to, I think, in the elegiac quality that you find in the dead. 15 Usher's Island is still standing. But its survival is thanks to Joyce enthusiast Brendan Kilty, who bought the house and restored it. Architect and Joyce fan Sean O'Leary worked on the restoration plans for the house. For him, preserving a place of literary significance is part of the cultural memory of a city. Cities that don't preserve memory and don't provoke imagination are not working. But great cities have always managed to embrace time, and I think that all great literature that invokes uh, a setting should spur uh, a personal imagination and a communal imagination. And in a real way, Usher's Island is a background building and part of an architectural language that was not unique to Dublin, but that scale counterpointed with the set pieces like the Four Courts gave George and Dublin its essential character. So it's critically important not only to conserve the elements that imbue the city with character, but to also share the memories of those places with generations. There also, I think, is a huge capacity to even start to fantasise about what that city might have been like, and we've got wonderful opportunities to even use digital technology to start to spur the imagination even more.